Welcome to Off the Page. I'm your host, Crystal Siracus. Thanks so much for being here. Meryl Douglas is a freelance editor and poet. Her poems are beautifully gritty, and they explore the realities of life in ways that are just a little bit icky, but also capture life in the smallest, most fascinating detail. Her poems have appeared in the Baltimore Review, Tar River Poetry, Stone Canoe, and more. And her chapbook, which was published by Finishing Line Press, is called Parking Meters into Mermaids. Meryl joins me today to talk more about her writing process and to read some of her work. Meryl, thanks so much for talking with me today. You're very welcome. So tell us about your journey towards becoming a poet. What got you writing in the first place? Well, um, I, I, to begin with, was one of those kids, and I'm sure there are lots of us out there who loved reading books and wanted to be able to do what those authors were doing. And I guess I always assumed that I was going to write novels because that's what I read. Um, I also, you know, wrote little rhymey poems as a kid, and I, I think my first influences in terms of verse were the usual things like Dr. Seuss and nursery rhymes and song lyrics. But somewhere along the way and thinking that I was going to be a writer when I grew up, I realized or decided that I didn't know enough about life to be able to create believable characters. And I probably also didn't have the necessary attention span to write something as sustained as a novel or maybe even a good short story. So I began to focus more and more on poetry. Do you remember maybe the first poem that you wrote that kind of really solidified that this 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 is me, this is what I want to do? When I was in high school and was starting to write some poetry, I had an English teacher who said to me, if you want to be a poet, you should really try to write sonnets. They're, they're wonderful um, practice. So because I took that seriously and because I had a crush on this teacher, I went home and wrote a sonnet. And I found that really exciting because I learned that you couldn't just write something down and that's how the the line went. Things had to rhyme. So the first word I chose wasn't necessarily the word I could use. And as I looked for other words, maybe the sentence started to say different things. And I think that's how I became aware of the craft of poetry for the first time. You know, I've heard poetry written uh, or described as basically writing puzzles. Interesting. In in many ways, because, you know, you're always searching for the right piece that fits, you know, here. What do you think about that? (laughs) It's interesting because since I started writing largely on a computer, I, I often start on the page, but but transfer to the computer quickly. And, and I go back way before the days of the computer, I was writing by hand and, and going to the typewriter. But since I've had the computer available as a tool, I do spend a lot of time moving things around, trying different line breaks, taking words out, putting words in. And, and this is in spite of the fact that I don't write in traditional forms very often, but every poem has a form of some sort. And I've also often, it's often makes me think of those puzzles that we used to play with as kids. I don't know if you remember these or knew these, but they would have little tiles with letters on them and you kind of slid them around and 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I sometimes I feel like that's what I'm doing with words on the screen. Is, is it fun for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I often, instead of saying I'm working on a poem, I say I'm playing around with a poem because yeah, it's pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, can we start out um, and, and read something for us from your collection? Sure. This is called The Women Who Came Before Me. They buttoned their thick tweed coats to the chin and nagged their kids to tug knit hats low on their ears until April. They knew the price to the scent of canned peas at each of three markets. On Sundays, they'd sit face to face in the kitchen, slapping down coupons like aces and jacks, swapping stories about Manya and Sonia and Selma and Abe from downstairs. They boiled the orange out of carrots, tucked a cooked egg in the meatloaf, swore by tab and Melba toast. They scrubbed the linoleum spotless, but never walked if they could catch a ride never got wet without bathing caps, never went barefoot. All these years, I've been trying to outgrow those dresses they shortened to fit me, working on their knees, mouths bristling with straight pins. That is so evocative. Were there particular women you were thinking about when you wrote that? Just the collection of, of my mother, my grandmothers, my aunts, all of them. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that thing about slapping down the coupons. We used to go, my, we lived in Queens and, and my mother's mother was in Brooklyn and we used to go there not every weekend. I think we traded off between the two grandmothers, but you know, often on the weekends. And, and there was always, as I remember it anyway, a time when my mother and my grandmother would be sitting at her kitchen table um talking about oh you know this is on sale at my supermarket and this is what i pay for tuna at my supermarket and and i think they would buy each other things because something was on sale and bring them to each other <laughs> when you sit down to write are you writing on a particular subject or theme or even emotion how does a poem start for you yike um i, I wish it would happen more easily <laughs> i often don't know what the heck I'm going to write about. I try to save things. You know, if I have little things going on in my head or, or ideas, I, I try to write them down. I, I have kept a journal on and off, but mostly on since high school. And sometimes it's a diary and sometimes it's a repository for things I might write about. I, but I, I rarely come to a poem saying, I want to write about X or, you know, I want to, I, I don't have a message. I don't have a point. It, it really is more playing around with things. Sometimes I think of it as like making jewelry, taking little pieces and putting them together. Are there themes that you find yourself drawn to over and over? Yeah. I mean, in, in the chapbook, you know, I, I put the chapbook together as, as kind of a biography. I mean, it started with, with writing about things from early life and it kind of progressed you know be, being an being an adult being a parent being an older person I have a, a lot of poems and I, I'm not saying this very well um, I think I have quite a few poems that are about walking around noticing things being amazed at things sometimes mm -hmm. I call them my euphoria poems I have I haven't sat down to catalog this yet but I'm, I'm sure the poems do fall into certain themes I, I I'm not a nature poet, but I've been living out in the country for a lot of years. So, so there is a certain amount of observation of nature, but I, I 
keep wanting to drag in more urban and, and grittier things too. But I think part of this, though, is just that act of walking around and observing is kind of what jiggles things loose. Even if you're not going to write about, you know, here's the bird I saw, here's the tree I saw. Yeah. But it might, you know, evoke a memory of something else. Yeah. And, and I think I just care to write about what's around me and what's what's in my neighborhood. And when I lived in the city, then that that was what was around me. And now sometimes I write about trees or birds or what my neighbors are doing in their driveways and things like that. Well, I, I would love it if you would read a particular poem for me. Um, this is from your chapbook, which I just, there is so much about this that spoke to me. Would you read Summer in My Early Twenties? Sure. This does go back to when I was a young person living in Manhattan in the years after college. Summer in My Early Twenties. Those weeks when the fan on the windowsill mumbled apologies hour after hour, I would wake up three or four times a night and stand at the refrigerator, gulping cold water. Nobody told me the taste on the mouth of the jar was just rust from the lid. I was so sure it was the kiss of disappointment. Often it was hard to tell the clutter in my bedroom from the clutter in my brain. Loose stacks of magazines and notebooks, postcards, paperbacks, all mixed up with the name of some man who might fly back from Costa Rica or Nepal and hold still long enough to love me. Nights when the t-shirt stuck to my back and I could feel the hair sprout on my legs. Why didn't some grayer, fatter woman sit me down and say, sweetie, this isn't your life. This is weather. Maybe I did see the Empire State Building's head on fire in a fog but by morning I would find it had cooled to a blue coal, the streets all healed. Down the block, the Italian ice guys would be lifting their garage door, leading their carts out like ponies, hosing them down, suds sliding in sheets across the sidewalk and over the curb's lip. Oh, thank you for that. Well, when did you write this? I was trying to remember, it's, it's pretty old. I think it dates back to, point in my life when I finally, I, there were a lot of years, especially when I was working, I, I'm a freelancer, I've been a freelance writer for about 20 years, but when I was working at a quote real job and when my son was young and didn't really find a lot of room in my life for writing and then eventually as my son got older and some of my work responsibilities changed, I cleared out of space. So this probably dates back about 20 years. Mm-hmm. Are there particular poets or books that you go to for inspiration? Thinking about that today, this is not a poet I've been reading for a long time. It's someone I met, encountered recently, but I think I resonate with his name is Ariel Francisco, and I'm, I'm holding one of his books right now. It's called All My Heroes Are Broke, and a lot of his poems, at least in this book, I haven't read his others, are walking around and um, he sort of takes the spirit of a nature poet, but brings it to the city. He, a lot of the poems in this book have, have t- titles that are sort of reading such and such a poet while doing, well, let me actually read you some, like um, reading Emily Dickinson at the bodega just after 2 a.m. That is such a scene setter. Yeah. Or reading James Wright on the L train. He has a lot of titles like that where he's reading a certain poet in a certain setting. <laughs> I love that. With your own writing, 
do you try to write things that maybe make you uncomfortable? Hmm. I hope I do. Do you think that's an important part of the process? Um, it's not something that I would have thought about. I never would have sat down and said, okay, Marilyn, today you're going to write something that makes you uncomfortable. But I hope that I, I go there if that's where my thoughts are taking me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you, have you found in, in anything of mine that you've read that, that I seem to be doing that? I think that my, my take on a lot of this, um, there's a, a kind of like beautiful grittiness. Mm -hmm. I think to a lot of, of what you've written. And I think that comes back to just reflecting on what you're seeing around you, especially the poems that seem to come from your time in the city. Um, you know, I'm looking at what the dream reveals about her father mm -hmm. and it just, it just, it's so, it sets such a, such a particular space in time. And also when we go back to summer in my twenties, it's the language where you feel that, that t-shirt sticking to the back of your own, you know, mm -hmm. sticking to your back and, the way that the fans mumble just it's it's that kind of like you really get it and it also is just a little uncomfortable because you feel it i think if that makes any sense well it's interesting because i, I have a poet friend who, who sometimes points out that i have a, a knack for ickiness in my poems and i think it's because i do put in things like I don't know, a spider in the quarter, corner of the bathroom or all the dust that's collected under the desk, things like that. And um, they don't really make me uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I may go go towards things like that too much, maybe trying too hard to um, to put that ickiness in. But no, yeah, maybe may a reflex. I think I think that works though. No, because there's another poem. You know, I hear him twisting, twisting in the damp sheets, and uh -huh. then later, I lift you. We're sticky and slick. Says I stamp from couch to table to couch. <laughs> um, you know, talking about you know a mother with with her baby, and it's just, it's just part of life. Yeah, it's it's real. <laughs> it's real, exactly, exactly. What do you think is so? This is a two parter. What do you think is the most difficult part of your process, but what's the most enjoyable too? Well, I guess the most difficult part is just getting started. And, and there are a lot of false starts. I mean, um, you know, aside from things scribbled in notebooks, I, I've got a folder on the computer called In Progress, which is full of stubs. You know, things I started writing, you know, it may only be a few lines and maybe something I labored over for weeks and just didn't get anywhere. And um, it's it's hard when you put a lot of effort into something and then you just don't like it or it's not finished or it's just bad. <laughs> right, right. And I think the most fun part might be, well, I mean, aside from the fun of sharing poems with other people and discussing them and hearing their poems and all that. I think when something feels like it is clicking, but I keep, it, it's not done yet and I'm changing things and I'm discovering things. I mean, you, you really, if you go into a poem not knowing quite what it's gonna be about, then you keep finding out more about mm. what, it, what it's about or what it can be accomplishing. Do you have an ideal day for writing? No. <laughs> And, th and this is evolving um, for many years. Uh, I, not many, for the past few years, I set aside from four to five o'clock on Friday as poetry hour, because if I couldn't fit poetry anywhere else into my week, I wanted to have at least one little piece that 
I might be working on poems, I might be sending out poems, but that was poetry hour. And of course, sometimes it gets eaten into, but I try to be consistent. As of this year, I've declared myself semi-retired, which mainly means that I've cut back on the amount of work I'm doing in my freelance business. So I'm trying to actually write time for poetry into my to-do list, you know, the, the, the list of paid projects that I'm working on. I'm trying to move poetry up into that list rather than in my personal list. And I'm still trying to figure out how that works. <laughs> so maybe in a few years, you'll have your ideal day down. <laughs> or maybe it will be, you know, five days a week. Who knows? Oh, wow. Can you read one final poem for us today? Sure. I'm going to read, this is actually a prose poem. And um, it's called Seeks Its Own Level. It's in four parts. In the city, a child fills a shovel with snow from a ridge the plow made, then stands between parked cars and dips the blade in the flowing gutter. The snow bleeds clear in water that tangles toward the storm drain, dragging filter tips and ripped leaves. That drain is a horror, its stretched mouth. Surely it's too narrow to take her, but aren't there places you can't see coming where the rules don't apply and then you're gone? Two, the boys fill plastic buckets from the spigot near the bathrooms and stiff leg it back to the playground built on sand. They pour the contents into the hole they dug beneath the slide and run back for refills over and over. An entire swimming pool at their disposal, but they love this best, water they can master, earth that swallows only so much before the water settles in to make a pond. Three, some summers it never rains. The river shrinks, skeleton protruding. They let the child's bath water stand overnight and in the morning, carry it in soup pots to pour on the peppers and tomatoes. Some years it rains so much, the river is a foaming brown pestilence among trees. Storm sewers back up into rec rooms. The lawnmower's wheels cut black spirals a hieroglyphic curse when seen from a low-flying plane. Four, by June, the creek behind the house is barely deep enough to wet her, wet her feet. The ooze at the bottom feels the way cool juice tastes. It's a blessing she never asked for, jagged comma, pause in the downward slope, visible on no map, a crease in the succession of years, banks thick with violets and touch-me-nots, star moss, two-inch seedlings that yearn toward the branches that drop them. Oh, thank you for that. You're welcome. And thank you for joining me today. It was such oh. a fun to talk with you. Well, thank you so much. It's been great fun for me too. You can find a link where you can purchase Merrill's chapbook, Parking Meters into Mermaids, on our website. Just visit yourpublicradio.org and click on Off the Page to find today's episode. And if you read this book or any of the other books that we've talked about on Off the Page, I'd love to hear about it. Share your comments on Twitter at WSKG or send an email to offthepage at WSKG.org. And I may even read your comments on a future episode. Off the Page is produced by WSKG Public Media. I'm your host and producer, Crystal Siracus. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope to see you next time when we go Off the Page. Mm-hmm.